Tom and Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T and your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low and your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. How are you, Lorenzo? Wonderful. You are not wonderful. Ah. We always uh, start this off beforehand. We're like, let's not get into complaining about how tired we are, or this or that or the other thing, because we could just go off when that happens. But we have to acknowledge we have been sick. Oh, my God. As dogs for the last two weeks. We are coming on two weeks with this i guess it's a full-blown flu it has to be it's I not mean, covid we, no, we've we, each we, been tested like three times we tested like 500 times we um, used all the kits we had in the house we, yeah every kit we had in the house we used we don't have covid we both have epic epic chest colds and really the only reason i'm i'm starting off the podcast to say this is um we're we're working really hard not to be sound phlegmy or but we might sound kind of nasally and so it, forgive us forgive us for that we had to completely scrap last week's podcast um but we you know missed you guys and yes. we and we have contractual obligations so we we knew we were coming back this week we just were afraid that we were going to sound like and, crap but we are feeling better we are it's actually it's just, just yeah this really lingering um chest thing which uh i mean like 10 days ago we both had fevers that spiked and then we had chills and everything but it, ever since then it's just been one of those crud things that just won't go away and i mean like most of us we were spending 2020 and 2021 taking you know wearing masks or on lockdown so it's actually been a really long time for us since we've been this sick anyway anyway so um we're gonna do our best not to sound phlegmy we're gonna do our best not to um make clicking noises with the cough drops in our mouths (laughs) and everything and we're gonna sip our tea and get through it this week's podcast is a podpourri of topics. We're just going to touch on a whole bunch of different things, a couple yeah. TV shows that we're loving, um, and some hot celebrity gossip. I know, man. Uh, it's a, it's, it's been, been going a, on. It's been a good week for celebrity gossip. Yeah. We are not gossip bloggers or gossip podcasters, but we are... Um, messy, messy, messy. We are, you know, we spend our days writing about celebrities and about royals, and this has been a week of hot celebrity and royal gossip. Um, and we can't not touch it on some of it. Starting off, Jason Sudeikis. Oh my God. Yeah. I am living for this drama. Okay. So, I mean, in case you don't know, Jason Sudeikis, um, uh, well, Olivia Wilde, his ex, who they were not married, but they were engaged and they have two children together. And um, they broke up, I don't know, a couple years ago. And she um, started dating Harry Styles, who she was directing in this film. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, she was at CinemaCon, which is what it sounds like. It's a huge cinema convention in which studios present their uh, slate for the upcoming year. It's all, it's sort of like Comic-Con, but for uh, movie professionals. With all the media in front of her. Yeah, so she was on stage giving a presentation about this film that she directed with Harry Styles, which is coming out soon. And uh, someone came up to the stage and slid an envelope across the stage to her. And she's like in front of cameras, you with know? big letters, confidential. Yeah, and she said, is this for me? And, and she's like, what, is this a script? Like, she didn't know what it was. Oh, and my God. She opened it up on stage and then she didn't say anything and then she continued on with her presentation and it came out a couple hours later that um the that was a process server who was serving her custody papers regarding the children that she has with jason sudeikis now that is messy 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 and that is a scandal i mean that is 
not done. Uh, this is sort of kind of on the on the same level as the Will Smith thing, slapping someone on the stage of the Oscars. It's it's not the most horrible thing you ever heard of, but it's just where and how it was done right. that makes it like shocking, orchestrated in a way that. Come well, on. And then it all turned out. You know, there was all this arguing. There still is uh, on social media about uh, you know whether he knew and. Um, Normally, uh, I'm not an expert on process serving and that sort of thing, but normally I would probably err on the side of saying, well, that was just some over... Because they're known for being zealous, process servers. Well, someone who does that actually replied to our tweet and had a very interesting explanation about, like, you don't do that kind of thing, um, period. There's been several responses to our tweet. Yeah. One was from a lawyer and one was from a process server. And... Um, I, a lot of people like well we should stop and say that Jason Sudeikis sent out a um a statement saying that he didn't know that this was going to be done at this time in this way i mean mm -hmm. he was having her, her papers served on her but he didn't have anything to do with that and normally as from my understanding as clients would not normally have that much input into where and how mm -hmm. someone gets served um however there's all these questions surrounding how uh, the process server was a woman, how this woman got into CinemaCon, which mm -hmm. is, uh, it's a professional event. It's not ne necessarily open to the public. Right. You have to be Tickets invited, are a thousand dollars roughly. Um, and she had, she was fully credentialed. Not only that, but, um, a, a journalist told us this last night. They, uh, it was off the record. It was done confidentially. I don't know if you saw the direct. No, I no didn't we got see a direct that message. Oh, I didn't see that at from all. a journalist who was there who said off the record, she was not scheduled to appear. There was no announcement. Nobody knew she was going to be on stage there. Huh? And then it came out. The rap did a story and um, uh, interviewed people, and they said the same thing that she was, was not surprise. Uh, she was not yeah. scheduled huh. to be there, and nobody knew she. There was no way for a process server to actually know she was going to be there. And even if they kind of thought maybe she would be there, they would. They that's going to extreme lengths, mm -hmm. like buying a ticket, wearing the lanyard, making your way up to the stage, past mm -hmm. security apparently. Um, right. I mean, to get that close. To get that close. So I. And I don't believe I don't believe Jason Sudeikis at all. I don't believe that he didn't have anything to do with this because, well, he didn't physically do it. But, no, but of course he knew about it. Come on, I just find it very difficult to believe that um, this wasn't on some level, because this isn't just serving someone papers. This is a professional humiliation. Right. It is this, very this is, direct. Listen, I don't know how she is uh, as a mother, as a, as a wife, or as she was. As an ex-partner. Yeah, I don't know any of that. I don't know how he is. I just think it's a shitty thing to do, number one, to a woman who's achieved a certain level of success, and that's her moment. Right. And you're... It's kind of like a slapback. I don't know. I mean, it but just, then the other, you know, the flip side of this is, um, if that's what a process server had to do to get papers to her, it sure right, sounds like right. she was avoiding avoiding, yes, right, getting these papers. Um, but I don't know. But there, there's no, I, I don't agree with that at all. I mean, yeah, it, it just sounds like something a, a, a man would do to a woman. Um, right? People are all up in arms over because no one wants to believe that Ted Lasso is that vindictive. Well, that's the thing. The fans are crazy. They're just like outlander craziness. But I've heard, I've heard plenty of um, rumors over the years that he's pretty dark. Um, yeah, I've oh, heard rumors to that effect. And this was all like people, a lot of journalists were kind of alluding to that on social media. They were like, you know, you stands think you know these celebrities and well, you don't know the thing. them. They, they know they love the show and they, they're defending him because they love the character right. uh, in the show. And 
you know, that that's how it works. Uh, I, but again, I don't know how she is as or she was as a partner, as a, as a mother. Right. I don't, I don't know any of I that. I mean, so. it could be like, hey, she's been screwing him right, over right, and right. maybe she deserved it. I don't know. All I know is I think it's delicious. It's one of the most <laughs> delicious celebrity scandals I've seen in a really long time because it's so low stakes. Like, who cares? Like the Will Smith thing, that wasn't delicious to watch. Right. That was sad and it was wrong i mean nobody came out of that looking good the thing is that uh i've always liked her uh she was always very nice to us at the michael kors collection shows like she was in front of us and and i talked to her once oh i didn't know that yeah she was very sweet and very friendly um so i've always rooted for her as 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 a professional right um i always do as a woman you know directing and, and creating i think it's beautiful and we need more of that and she is talented. Oh, Booksmart was a great I know, movie. Exactly. Absolutely. We gave it a great review. So I don't know anything about her personal life with him, but I admire her as a professional. And and it, to me, looking from that angle... Um, it's a shitty thing to do. It's a shitty thing to do to right. a professional woman. I agree. I'm not taking sides here. I, that's the part that makes it so much fun for me is because there are no sides to take. We really don't know right. what their... I was going to say their marriage, what their relationship was like, who if there even is a bad guy in this story but just on the surface um that is vindictive that's cold as hell and um i think it puts the lot for me listen i'm not telling anyone how to think about anything right. but for me i think it puts the lie to the idea that jason sudeikis is ted lasso the thing is and this is going to sound very cynical and again take it or leave it this is just me but when actors create these characters that are just so right. good right. and so lovable and so you, I always am like okay you're mm-hmm. working really hard to get us to love you and what are you really like behind the scenes I always assume that that actors who play these super nice parts yeah. are probably nightmares behind I, the scenes just I I I I guess because we do this for for a living, you 15, know, 16 years. So now. I guess yeah. we're a little, uh, you know, we have a better understanding and how to dif- differentiate, you know, things, right. uh, you know, actor and and character. But the same thing is going on with Johnny Depp now. I mean, well, this is a good segue, right? I'm sorry, I didn't. Mean no, to no, cut that's you. it. That's it. Is it because it? This is the other hot. It's this is the one that's actually not all that entertaining to watch, which no, is it's, the it's defamation trial, devastating. Uh, between Johnny Depp and his ex-wife Amber Heard, and but a, a lot of people this week, a lot of journalists this week, were talking about how uh, they didn't realize that Depp fans were so crazy. And I just had a laugh. I was like, "Oh, honey, I could have told you that yeah, every time ten posted about years it. Yeah. ago." How crazy his uh-huh. fans are. Um, and I don't mean all of his fans. I mean the ones that organize online right. and brigade right. people right. and that sort of thing, and tried to get her fired from all her movies and that sort of thing. But um, there, that is not a delicious celebrity story to, no. because it's it's literally an ugly story it, unfolding. It, it, it's violent. Their marriage yeah. sounds like a freaking nightmare. They both sound like nightmare people. Right, right. Um, this is definitely one where I, I don't have to take sides because they both sound terrible. Um, listen, if if he um, if it's true that he abused her physically, then I'm not I'm not defending that at all. But all there's a lot of ugly stuff coming out about you know her shitting on the bed and what was that thing about the cell phone? He threw his cell phone out um, off the window and then he had to go and get it and pay a homeless person who got the phone. They just both just, sound like really it's, fucked it's, up yeah, people. It's, all this ugliness is yeah. coming out. Uh, you, 
Yeah, it's just it's just bad. It's really bad. Yeah, it's not. Listen, we're not defending spousal abuse or claiming that he didn't do it. I don't have a. I mean, I don't know. I don't freaking know. But a court found in her favor. Um, and the same thing is going on with with the Kardashians and Rob Kardashian and Black China. Well, that know. I don't touch with That's, a ten foot. But pole. that is just a mess. And then they're all being. <laughs> Uh, you know, interviewed and all that, and they're they're just it's just oh my god, uh, and um, and it, all of these mess. stories sort of come down to, especially with the Kardashian one, come down to this idea of um, you know, power differentials. Like yes, the Kardashian clan when when they are united on something, there's nobody that could fight that. They, no, no, they're they're all so rich and so powerful in the entertainment industry. Loath as I am to admit it, that um. I might actually feel sorry for Black China yeah, having but, to go up against them. On the other hand, she does sound like a nightmare. Right. That's the thing. I mean, the stuff that is coming out, like that she is a nightmare. And then she pulled a gun, you know, all that stuff. And he had to... Uh, but yeah, he's, it's, a, it's he's always been messy. Yeah. Messy, messy. But, like, but as you said, the family is very powerful. And right. they decided, you know, they pretty much cancel right. their show because she, the way she was behaving, according to them. It's... It, it, you watch all these things and you're like, wow, it, it's, it's... Yeah, and messy. J-Lo and Ben are out buying houses and making out in front of the paparazzi while they look at houses. I mean, it's just a golden... It actually reminds me a lot of, like, well, the golden age of celebrity blogging, which we got in on the tail end of, but like the Perez Hilton era mm-hmm. of blogging, when there was so much going on in the aughts uh, to cover. Right, right. And I think there was so much backlash to that kind of celebrity coverage like mm-hmm. i mean it totally changed how um you don't cover celebrities in that ugly ugly way right. that people like perez did or and then there are people like laney gossip and uh delisted who i actually really like but even they have had to temper themselves tremendously over the last mm, five or six years as the culture shifted we've talked about this we've right. talked about how our own blogging was a lot more nasty in the early days and we kind of had to right, learn right. how to so it's interesting to see this return to really, really, really messy celebrity stories with somewhat low stakes. Like, I, it, I don't really give a shit who's right or wrong in the Sudeikis wild relationship. Right. I don't give a shit who's right or wrong. Like, Rob Kardashian is a mess. Black China sounds like a mess, but so is he. Amber Heard and Johnny Depp, messes. So in that sense, mm-hmm. it's low stakes celebrity uh, gossip and that sort of stuff. It can be fun. Although, like I said, the herd and depth stuff is just ugly. Right. The only thing about uh, Olivia Wilde is that I feel it's you taking away a, a woman's moment. Uh, I agree. That's ugly. That the, That's the part that I just don't like at all. And I think it's shitty. Whoever did it. Him, his, his team, whatever. Um, she's... She's talented. She's creating a space that it's not, you know, you don't see a lot as a director, as a, as, as, as a filmmaker. Um, anyway, so that's the only part that I didn't like. I was like, wow, she, you, you know, she's celebrating her moment. Uh, she's talking to the press as a woman, as a director, and you're just serving her as a, some housewife, you know, uh, slash spouse. Um, yeah, I didn't like that at all. But anyway. I'm, but I'm still eating up everything. Yeah, everything sure. being written about it, every every development. I can't wait to hear more about it. Like I said, low stakes celebrity goss. It's right. Never anything for me to get upset about. You know what else I don't get upset about? My Bomba oh stocks. My which let me tell you. Oh my god, they have amazing stuff online. By the way, I just saw. They always have amazing stuff online. But my um, wool Bomba socks. I've been wearing them every single day 
uh, since we got sick. Like, I oh know. my God, that's, that's just the cuddliest, softest, it's warmest thing. It's exactly <laughs> what you want. Yes, it's my nurse. Bombas's mission is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you're also giving to someone in need. Bombas designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. And they're so great when you have cold. They're made from super soft <laughs> materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them the perfect cozy winter layers. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles for every sport and activity that keeps you moving. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight so they hang just right. Bombas underwear has a barely there feel with second skin support that might make you forget they're even there in a good way. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. So... Go to bombas.com slash TLO and get 20% off any purpose that's purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O for 20% off. Bombas.com slash T-L-O. The Thank cute you, thing Bombas. about Bombas is that we, we, we went, you know, obviously we had a family Easter celebration. Um, we, we hadn't seen the whole family together in a long time. Which, which was, was lovely. Which was awesome. My and my God. cheesecake came out perfect. I know, yes. I, I posted a picture on Several on Instagram. people said it was the best cheesecake they ever had. Oh, Thank you very much. It was really, really delicious. Anyway, and but you know we we when we are together as a family we try not to talk too much about the the site and Tom Lorenzo and all that you know I actually hate it yeah we we usually don't talk about it unless it's something you know new like a book the book or whatever anyway my point is that it was so cute because we were talking and all of a sudden everyone was talking about Bombas socks we and like, some of them didn't know I that know. we we were like oh hey. you know bombas.com slash TLO for twenty percent off I know please use it so it was so funny like even family members they were like oh I didn't know I just bought them I didn't know I could have a discount. Right. You know, get a discount with, with you so, guys. Anyway, we took note. We know, now we know which members of our family listen <laughs> yes, to this podcast and which are, don't. You're all being judged. But it was sweet. I'm just joking. It was sweet. And so thank you, Bombus. And I got through that entire read without coughing yeah. or flemming into Good the microphone. You. So yay me. All righty. So uh, the other bit of gossip that's been hitting our timeline this oh, week dear. is Tina Brown's the palace papers inside the house of windsor the truth and the turmoil the book that she's uh i think it's coming out this week yeah there there's a link uh, in the lounge there, yeah she's it. been doing the round like tina's uh tina brown you know former editor of vanity fair i right, believe right. she was also the former editor of tatler once a good close friend to diana wrote a very um personal right? seminal book about yeah. diana she knows whereof she speaks but at the same time she's always been someone who um how do I put this? Like I, 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 the things that Tina writes, she's rarely ever been proven wrong in mm-hmm. in the like the type of gossip that she posts. But I feel like sometimes she's very um, selective in how she looks at things. Uh, mm-hmm. Like for instance, she's been doing a lot of press this week about the book, and there's you know all kinds of revelations about Megan, about Harry, about William and Kate. It's about the whole family, um, and a, a lot of times I feel like. If you read what she's actually saying about, for instance, Megan and Catherine, 
Um, they both don't come out great mm-hmm. in her, the various stories she right. tells, but when she frames them, she tends to be a lot more forgiving of Catherine and a lot more really. Um, and I don't judgmental. think uh, judgmental about Megan. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's necessarily. Um, uh, I don't think there's necess- she's necessarily being vindictive or anything like that. I just think she feels a little safer to be more critical of Megan and she's sort of hedging her bets with the future queen of England. Not that she has any relationship with them or anything like that, but she tends to be a little bit more forgiving of some of the stuff that she writes about Kat. Although most of what she's been saying about Catherine is that she's really boring and just tries really hard to be good. Um, Well, we can all, we can all see that. um, A lot of what she is coming out in the, in these um, little articles and the interviews that she's giving and excerpts from the book um, is it really does tend to reinforce a lot of what we have either said or on this podcast or have just in conversations about people. For instance, that um, Prince William was a brat when he was a baby, and everybody knew this, um, and uh, so much so that the Queen was concerned, and that this has sort of carried over into his adulthood. There has always been with William a sense of entitlement, but... In his case, it's almost, well, it's literal. Of course, it's, well, yeah. you are literally going to be entitled. I know. Um, they know. So it's almost like, yeah, well, of course he's entitled. Like, of course he's, uh, you know, obnoxious and thinks too highly of himself. He's been told since he birthed that he was going to be the king. Right. You you know from, from, from the get-go, from the beginning. Right. And uh, similarly with Harry, as we've always said about Harry in these discussions, right. um, he was going to leave the family with or without Megan. He has been angry at the family since before his mother died. He's been angry at the family since right. he was a kid. And we talked about this a couple of times that, um, and she she confirms it in the book, that he has always struggled with the idea that he wasn't going to be co-king along with William. He always right. had a problem being the second. Um, like everybody else in that family, like Prince Edward, like right, Princess exactly. Margaret. It's the story that yeah, plays out yeah. in that family over and over again. Over and over. The difference is um, he has acted out against the family because of it. Like Princess Margaret had her scandals. Prince Edward, of course, has... I mean, not Prince... Prince Andrew. Prince mm-hmm. Andrew has his scandals. Um, but Harry has literally fought the family for years. Um, he fought with William over patronages because William was all getting all the best patronage. Well, he's going to be king and you're not. Like, right, right. It was very clear to us reading all these things over the years, reading between the lines over the years, that Harry really could not handle the fact that he wasn't going to be king. Right. And he couldn't handle... And when Meghan came along, he couldn't handle that she wasn't going to be treated the same way Kate was. And she wasn't like uh, right. you can talk about. Uh, yes, the the family is racist. I believe that, or members of the family are racist. Yes, the British press is racist. Yes, she was terribly, terribly mistreated by both of those institutions. However, he came into it with an expectation that she was going to be treated like Kate, and that's which is kind of naive. It was always naive. Harry was always hot headed right. and right. angry and thought he deserved everything that William was getting. And I listen. That must suck. I wouldn't wish right. that. Like having a sibling that's literally going to be the king, and but you're always have, haven't changed in in, in decades. Well, why would he change? Why now did for you him? think yeah. it was going to change? No, it it wasn't. Um, and I guess he was hoping for something different. But at yeah. the same time, Tina is very clear that they are the the Sussexes uh-huh. are um, huge drama queens. That a lot of their problems with the family, they did bring on themselves. Mm-hmm. They handled the exit terribly. Right. Um, and I did think this, I still think this, the Oprah interview was 
largely a mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got their story out there, but that means irreparable damage. I don't get how you think you were going to reconcile with your father after you more or less called him racist on in an, in an international right, right, interview. Right. right. Um, I'm not, you know, maybe he felt he needed to do that, whatever, but to, to do that and then think that you were somehow going to fix things. No, you, you blew it up, buddy. Like you need to right. own that. It's never going to go. And then, subsequently every complaint that he's had about the family everything he said in the press since the oprah interview i just kind of roll my eyes out because i'm like well harry what did you think was going to happen they weren't going to come back and oh forgive us and we'll give you one no you blew it up buddy you blew up your relationship with everybody in your family there's no way william's gonna yeah yeah. there's just no way you badmouth kate in that interview you said that kate made megan cry and again maybe you have the right to do that right but you have to accept the consequences of that as well. Like at the time when they did the interview, I was shocked, but I was like, well, that's it. I guess they're just going to, that's it. They're not going to, they're cutting ties and that's the end of it. But he still gives these interviews like, oh, I'm hoping to reach out. And Harry, what are you doing? No, it's not going to happen. It's just going to get worse, I think. Oh. And it is just going to get worse, especially since last week during the Invictus games, he gave an interview to Hoda on the Today Show. And, um, he said that, uh, oh, they did that surprise visit right, to right, the queen right. and everything. And he said, you know, he just wanted to see her to make sure that she was being taken care of and that the By people the right around people her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was, I tweeted at the time. I was like, I can't tell if he's being deliberately, you know, inflammatory or if he's just really reckless with his mm-hmm. words. And I'm coming to the conclusion that he's just really reckless. He thinks he can say things like that in the press. Right. And still try and have some sort of relationship. Um. The thing is, the thing that he said in the press about um, the Queen being surrounded by people who didn't have her best interest at heart or whatever like that, even if you feel that's true, which I guess he does, what good, what possible good is going to come out of you saying that in an interview? Mm-hmm. Because you've now you've pissed off your family again. You've pissed off all the courtiers because you basically accuse them of not being able to do their work. You pissed off the public who loves the Queen and has a, the British public at least, right? And is increasingly has a problem with him. And you pissed off the British press who already hate you. So what? There was never going to be a good outcome in in making that statement. So that's the part where and this combined with the um, the Tina Brown stuff coming out, I just think he's a mess. He's an absolute mess, mm-hmm. and. I, I, I just came across a thread today on online that that people really think that we're these huge Megan fans, and I mean we hardly ever report no, or talk not. about. Me- I think we've done two posts about Megan in the last yeah. fifteen months or something. Um, we're just not racist. <laughs> we're just not racist, and yeah. we're sympathetic. To yeah, so the that, fact that she's in so that institution. Any anything we say about Megan, positive thing we say about Megan, then it, it gets blown up like uh, yeah. we're these huge mega fans. And um, at the same time, I'm a little reluctant to uh, overly cr- criticize her because um, because of the way the press handled her right. and everything. However, um, and I don't think she bears much blame for the way things happen. I, I think so much of that was him. There's right. a lot of stories in Tina Brown's book that she was difficult to work mm-hmm. with, that she came in with a lot of expectations. Um uh, that she was going to, fig- you know, do things her way, and all of that just strikes me as incredibly naive. Right. Um, but she was probably being fed these delusions by Harry, who really thought he was going to change the institution to, you know, to make it right. more amen- amenable. I, I to wonder him. why she felt that way. 
the thing is, there's not a lot of indication in Megan, uh, her history prior to Harry. You know, she was a B-list actress on a cable show. She did a lot of charity work. She had a blog and she was like an influencer. And she was always about, you know, supporting women and women mm-hmm. of color. Like, that was always her deal. But there was not a lot of information about her being a difficult person, being an obnoxious person. Mm-hmm. Like, all her co-stars, they all came out and said, no, you know, she was always a dream to work with. So I don't know. I don't know if she got in there, got herself all puffed up because her her husband told her that she could have I anything guess, she wanted. That, yeah, because when you look at the history of all these people, like look at Grace Kelly, for example, you know, she gave up her career and then became miserable, but, but she accepted her. Yeah, she had a miserable life. Though. I know. I understand all that, but she accepted it. Yeah. And she accepted her role, you know, uh, and, and didn't question it too right. much. Uh, yeah, she was miserable and all that, but she understood that she was go- that that was going to be her life now. Right. So I don't understand why they thought both of them thought that they were going to have a different story. Um, so much of it does seem to come down to him. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, William told him, according to Tina Brown, to wait on marrying Megan. Um, and this had come out before. And it was framed in a way that he kind of made it sound like it, the way it was framed. It, in the stories that I read prior to this book coming out was that William thought she was some sort of temptress Jezebel who blah, blah, blah. But according to Tina Brown, he was advising Harry not to marry her so quickly because she needed time to establish a base in England so that she had her own friends and, you know, her own life in England and that she could learn how to handle all this before being thrown into it. And according to Tina Brown, his response was, that's all the more reason why I need to marry her because as soon as I marry her, I'll be able to protect her. And in everything he said since they got married, all of his complaints, all the various interviews, it was always about him not being able to protect her. Right. Um, she didn't have a support uh, uh, right. a team, I guess. So um, I believe Tina Brown, and I've always kind of felt this, that, and we've said this or alluded to this in our writing about the, uh, the Sussexes, that, you know, um, I think in the last podcast, we said that they were probably, the last time we talked about them, mm-hmm. I said that they were probably more trouble for the family than they were worth. And that's, I think Tina Brown sort of bears that out. But I still maintain that the family should have worked harder to keep them because they are an asset. Right. They would have been an asset to mm-hmm. the family. Yes. Um, the fact remains that um, the queen has during her reign, she benefited from having a sister who was a little wilder than her because it always made her look better. Right. And it's the same thing with Charles and Andrew. You can say what you will about Charles and his right. messy personal life, but he ain't no pedophile. Um, and <laughs> that is something, when you when you pull that away, you're stuck right. with, you know, um, Catherine and William who are these stuck in the mud. They're, you know, they're they're good at their jobs and everything. But, but the Harry boring, and Meghan, yeah. Harry especially, are very, very good at reaching out to people. Much, much better than most of the rest of the royals are. We, right. I mean, look at Harry during the Invictus right. Games. He's in his glory. Right. Um, and the, like we said in the last time we talked about William and Kate, you know, the monarchy and the Commonwealth as a whole is facing a a moment where uh, it could, you know, it's a make or break moment. A lot of the countries in the Commonwealth, the non-white majority countries, like the Caribbean countries, are asking for reparations, are asking to uh, be removed, you know, to become republics on their own. It would have been helpful to have a member of the royal family who wasn't white. 
Right. I, I we mean, talked about to be that. perfectly yes. blunt, yes. it yes. would have been yes. helpful to the institution. Yes. Not that Megan had magic black woman powers, but simply as a figurehead, because right. they're all figureheads. Right. all they are. To have a figurehead there with no colonialist uh, undertones to her existence. It, it goes back to the old, you know, thing that it is to see yourself represented, you know. Exactly. It's uh, not that I feel like Megan had some magic no, powers, when although... You, when you see yourself represented... Uh, then, then you feel like you, in a way, you understood, you're protected. They went on a tour of their one. One of their only royal tours was to Africa, right? Uh, to various countries in Africa, and it was a huge success. And part of that was because, and I mean, crowds were rapturous, right? And part of that was because well, for the first imagine? time, yeah. a member of the royal yeah. family was a woman of color, right? Um, you just can't downplay that kind of um, power right. that 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 she could have brought to the family. And they should have done more. I mean, I'm sure that Harry, especially, but Harry and Meghan as a team were probably just a pain in the ass from the get-go. It sounds like they were. Right. It also sounds like they were wildly mistreated by courtiers. Like, uh, starting from the wedding, and there was all this drama about the tiara because Angela Kelly, the queen's dresser, wouldn't let her try the tiara on. And it was all this stuff. Um, It does sound like they were mistreated. Um, but it also sounds like um, they were trouble. They were mm-hmm. just, and that they wanted things that the family was never going to be able to give them. She wanted, um, she wanted, I don't want to say she wanted power, but um, she wanted to be able to do things, to make change, to, to, to you make know, a difference. to make a difference. Uh-huh. And if you go, I think if you go into that role with that as your goal, well, you're just being naive. Yes. The best thing you can do is figure out a place for yourself. Right. That's something Catherine did very, very well. Oh, it's yes. something Diana was very, very bad at. Bad at, yeah. Um, you can't go into it with an agenda. You just can't. No. And they did. They both did. Um, so I don't, um, I don't think Harry and Meghan deserved any of their treatment. I'm more or less on their side when it comes to them versus the family because I'm always going to be on the side of someone who is being subjected to racist abuse. Uh, But I do think that they are um, much as Diana was. Like, you can say that Diana was this wonderful woman and she was also a victim. She was also an enormous pain in the ass. Pain in the ass. And completely wrong for that family. She produced one son who is following in her footsteps and married a woman who is, I don't think there's much about Megan that's similar to Diana, but um, she is similarly ill-suited to right, the life. Right, right, right. And like Diana, instead of saying, I'm ill-suited to this life, they're, they're lashing out at everybody else in that life. Right. So it's, it's complicated. I agree. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that, yes, they the, the press treated her badly. The family has racist family members. The stuff that was written about her in the press, in the British press, Horrendous. was incredibly yeah. racist. Um, all of that can be true. And at the same time, you can say, but they're probably a pain in the ass, the two of them. I agree. All right. Is that enough for gossip? Yes, I think so. All right. We were going to do a Russian Doll-themed podcast last week, but then we got sick and had to cancel it. And now it's been so long since Russian Doll dropped, it's only been two weeks, that I feel like we're getting to it a little late. But I did want to talk a little bit about it because we said we would. Now, um, do you want to... 
No, I give just, me time to sip my tea. I just want to say that Russian Doll, uh, when when it first came out, uh, the first season, I absolutely loved the show. I thought it was innovative and very creative. Right. Um, very talented people involved, and I did appreciate the whole thing. Uh, it was a different take. Uh, uh, it was different. It was just uh, than different. anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, was yeah. a different show. So I loved, I, I loved the it. people in it. I loved her. I loved her friends. I loved right. him. I'm uh, not a fan of Natasha uh, Leon. Uh, I'm not a fan of her style of acting. You find it very effective. I find it very effective, and and uh, um, just in that very aggressive, uh, abrasive New York way. Uh, uh, that's just me. I um, and I think she's kind of the same in every role. She's good at it, but it's it's pretty much the same character. I feel, um, but it works for the show. Um, I think. I uh, last. I feel like this season, the second season, part of the problem, and and we both did have some problems with this season. Part of the problem I had with this season is that um, her performance was too self-aware. Because mm-hmm. yes. I, I did, yeah. I went back and watched season one because it's been so long. Yes. Yeah. I, I watched season one after I was done with season two because I was like, I don't know why is this not hitting the same way. So then I went back and watched in season one. And her whole shtick, her whole, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a New Yorker and I talk a certain way, I'm very old school, and, uh, you know, it felt a lot more natural in the first one. And mm-hmm. in this, and in the second season, it's like, you're piling this on way too yeah. thick. Like when way, she's way, interacting way with everyone on the subway, it, it feels so fake. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't feel natural. It's like you're playing to the camera. Uh, she sounds like she's reading lines. Right. She's reading lines, and they're very fast and funny and witty, but, you know, a normal person wouldn't talk like that. Um, I agree. Uh, that's the only problem I have with it. But, uh, and I, you watch it first, and you kept saying, you know, you should give it a shot, and, and I didn't want to watch it at all, because uh, I was like, I don't know, I think I'm over the show. But I watched it, and um, there are certain times that I absolutely loved it. Second season. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Let's talk about it. Um, the when, as soon as they go to Budapest, the whole story gets better. Yeah, it gets much, much better. Right. The stuff early on. Well, first off, let's go into what it was about. I, it, it really. I go back and forth on how they handled this season. The first season was that she. Um, it was a loop. Nadia right? Volvikov, who was Natasha Leon's character, and Alan, who was Charlie Barnett's character, were both stuck in a time loop, like a, right. a Groundhog Day time loop, in which they died at the end of every day and then woke up at the same point. And they had to figure out a way out of that loop. Um, and what was great about that story was that it, um, a lot of the conclusion at the end of it, it was an emotional conclusion in the sense that the characters broke out of the loop by basically doing the work that a therapist would put them through. So there was a lot of therapeutic concepts that were in that, that final episode. And it really was, it was like, wow, they dramatized what therapy is, what Mm -hmm. it is to go through therapy, to work through your shit. The whole season was like a metaphor for therapy. The second season was, uh, now they're time travelers. And when they get on the subway, they travel back to, um, and they spoiler alert if you haven't watched well i mean i'm assuming it's 10 days later (laughs) yes we are going to talk about this um uh so it's sort of like um a cross between back to the future and quantum leap where they're both going into to the pasts of their ancestors or their relatives um but they're actually living in their bodies um so 
Nadia goes back and she's in her mother's body prior to her being born. Mm -hmm. And her mother is played by Chloe Sevigny, who also played her mother in flashbacks in season one. And again, there is some of that sort of therapeutic. There's a she literally gives birth to herself, which is sort of one which of the is so weird to watch. But it anyway. is, but it, that's actually a literalization of right. certain things that you go through in therapy. Um, I I didn't love it at first, um, but right, because here. it was such a weird, I was like, oh, the, that's just that's a completely different story, and right. it had a completely different undertone to it. But I did actually, by the time the season wrapped up, I did admire that they didn't just do season one all over again. They were like, all right, if we're going to do this, what's something different we can do right. to these characters? It's completely different. So yeah. they came up with a completely different story for the both of them. However, it sort of undoes most of what was in the first season. I mean, the conclusion of the first season was that they had both sort of self-actualized. They had worked their way through their shit. In this season, they're both kind of a, still a mess. But the... The implication, and this this is going to tie in. We're also going to talk about Pachinko after this. Um, it made some really good points about generational trauma. Yes, and again, it, it literalized that which was metaphor, which is normally considered metaphorical. In other words, it literalized generational trauma. That was the story. You got to watch her live in her mother's body, mm-hmm. and then later you got to watch her live in her grandmother's body during the war, and. It used the uh, family uh, uh, jewels, so to speak, the family valuables that were stolen by the Nazis. It used that as sort of the MacGuffin of her generations of the trauma that her family went through. Her mother was a Jew in Budapest during the war, and she carried and she survived. Her her, her grandmother. Her grandmother. I'm sorry, and she survived. But then the story. J- mm-hmm traces her and then her mother had mental health issues but it wasn't unrelated to her grandmother's own issues and how that all played out in her own life and so the story becomes about her if i can just fix my grandmother and fix my mother right i can fix all this trauma that was visited upon me which is poignant um but the it's messy as hell the way they told the story i don't necessarily i feel like it's just sort of ended right like when when the first season ended you really felt like she's worked it she's worked it out right she's become a better person she understands herself better and with this story i was like well i don't i feel like the only lesson she learned was that she can't change the past which is so that's what every time in fact they even he even yells at her yeah yeah um so i was it was an interesting concept but i don't think they unpacked it nearly as well as they did the concepts of the first season right and what really annoyed me was his storyline was completely truncated. And in many ways, his was a lot more seismic. And uh, the implications of his storyline were he jumps into his grandmother's body um, in uh, East Berlin. Mm -hmm. No, West Berlin. No, East Berlin. Yes. In uh, during at the height of the Cold War. His mother was from Ghana, I believe. His grandmother was from Ghana and she was there as a student. Right. But she got involved with some uh, you know, revolution guys who were trying to to escape Some activists, yeah. yeah, who were trying to tunnel under the wall and everything. That's a lot of story there, and unlike Nadia's story, it just ended for him. It just yeah. ended. Yeah. And one of the things that really annoyed me was, and this is so uh, such an example of how little they explored his story. He jumps into his grandmother's body, a woman, 
And he's got all these flirty scenes with her mother's boy, her grandmother's boyfriend at the time. And then he yells at Nadia later when he tells her about it. He's like, we're not fucking and I'm not gay. And I'm just like, how do you leave something like that unexplored? How do you leave? I mean, he was enjoying it. He was enjoying flirting with this guy. And and the actor, Charlie Barnett, is gay, but the character is not. Or at least has so not presented that. Yeah. How do you just skip over that? Right. If he really, if he was a cishet man, if we're supposed to understand him as a cishet man, then there are implications to being in the body of a woman. Like right. there's no way he right. wouldn't have had a problem with that. Right. You just don't turn like that. You yeah. just don't accept it. Like yeah. he's in the bathtub and he's enjoying being in, the, in her bathtub. And it was just very strange. Like mm-hmm. they took, I guess it was doubly strange because the actor himself is gay. They took this this character right up to the border of saying that he's either gay or 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 possibly trans and then dropped it, dropped all the implications of it, rejected them actually, and never unpacked any of it. And then he gets a speech with his grand like his grandmother gets to monologue him at the end in this sort of it's not a dream sequence. It's like they're all stuck in this time pocket or whatever. It's so weird. Um it just didn't work for me. It had right. some great ideas. The Budapest stuff with her, especially oh when God. she goes back yeah. to the war into the forties. And here she is. She's like this loudmouth New Yorker, 70 years post Holocaust. And she's not, and I kind of wish they had a, had unpacked this a little bit more. She's not quite getting that. You can't go around mouthing off right, to right. Nazis in Budapest in 1942. And she's constantly getting caught being, uh, like a millennial woman right, in, right, right. and I thought that could have been explored Interesting, more. Interesting, yeah. Because yeah. she's like mouthing off, like right. being a real smart ass to Nazis and I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. It I don't, wouldn't happen that way. I, I think that's not the lesson she could, she was supposed to learn here. It um, is fascinating and, and, and the, the, the sets are gorgeous and, and when she goes back and everything, the costumes, everything costumes works. Great. They all work. Um, and it's, and the parts that I loved is it's going back to your past and, and, and interacting with people that meant a lot to your parents. To, right, right, right. Um, the the, the whole, her whole interaction with her mother's best friend. I mean, that to me, which is so wonderful. Played by Annie Murphy from um, yes. um, uh, Schitt's Creek, who was playing a younger version of Elizabeth Ashley's character. Right, right, right. I didn't think that worked. I don't think she is believable as a younger version of elizabeth ashley right. it just didn't quite work but i do love the the, the idea of, of the idea of it yeah uh, yeah uh, just having that uh, type of situation where you you're talking to your mother's friends and 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 get a better understanding of your mother and how right. things went and and there's it's a, just, just fascinating yeah and there was a um the bit with with um alan and his his grandmother um where it's just said in passing because she was from Ghana and then she was in East Berlin and she could have gone anywhere after her, her, I think she was going for a doctorate or something like that. And, um, she opted for New York. Right. And it's just, it illustrates how just the decisions of your ancestors. Yes. Yes. yes, Because he's a New Yorker. He's an American. And like she made that decision anywhere and your life would have, and you might not have been born. I know. Um, I know. So it's it every once in a while it touches on like how the, the just the little and how that was just a decision she made after she graduated right. college and that's what it I love about gone either the season way. Yeah, yeah. it's that decisions change your it whole echoes for generations yeah, profoundly um, right exactly 
Um, and it was the same thing with her family um, and her mother and her grandmother and how, um, I guess the point was to allow her to forgive her mother. Right. For the shitty, because she, I mean, the first season really unpacks how horrifying her childhood was. Right, right, right. Because her mother had mental, uh, mental health issues. But I think this one was a because it's again, it's like a, a therapeutic concept made literal. She literally walked in her mother's shoes. Right. And then she literally gave birth to herself. And through that, she came to an understanding of, of who she is and how she is the result of everything that came before her. The concepts are good and even profound at times, but the storyline this season I felt was much messier. When you get to uh, the final episode of season one, um, it's so satisfying because it really, no pun intended, it really closes the loop of that story. It really right. felt like those two people were completely changed, lessons had been learned, you know, and everything got tied up very, very well. This just didn't feel like the same thing to me. It was an admirable attempt. Um, and the second half of the season is better than the first half. But the first two or three episodes, I was like, all right, this yeah, is... Yeah, the beginning is kind of hard. It's um, rough. It's rough. It's rough. Uh, I had to push myself. And, and I'm like, all right, let's just keep watching. And then, as I said, some parts are beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, so we'd love to hear your thoughts on, yeah. on it. Because I know a lot of you said you were going to get caught up on it in, in the hopes that we were doing a do podcast hope, on yeah, it. Yeah, we'll so. see if they have a, a third season. I don't think they, they need one. I would rather really? they didn't. Mm, yeah. Um, these characters are great, but the whole point of these stories is that they're very damaged and then they reach, a, through the story, they reach a better version right. of themselves. How many times can we watch them right. reset to one and, and start over again as damaged people? Okay. I just want to give a shout out now to Pachinko, oh which uh, has just aired its final episode on... Uh, see, we're getting through this with, I know. without too I'm many not, coughs, and I we do I apologize. I apologize for that. Um, but Pachinko, um, a eight-part series that just aired on... Uh, its last episode uh, came out today on Apple TV+. Plus. It's the story of a Korean family uh, who... Um, uh, it mostly live in Japan. Um, right. it's, 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 and it's a generational across four epi- generations across four generations and three countries actually. Um, and the United, what is it? Korea, Japan and the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah. Three countries. Yeah. Um, it's I pretty- have not finished it. I'm on episode six. You have finished it. And I'm actually going to toss to you because you, you're more of the expert here, but I just do want to say it's beautiful. It's and as a white American, I'm so grateful to get these glimpses. There's a scene, I think, in in the fourth episode with two, you know, you'll know, two old women talking about rice. Oh, my God. The white rice scene. I'm going to cry. The white rice scene is... No, I, as a white person, I I would, I I needed the show to explain, to show me that. And Mm -hmm. um, just... And a perspective that I never would have imagined right. without someone telling me. Right. And it's so beautiful. The converse, I'm going to cry. The conversation between these two women. Because it ain't about rice. I mean, rice is just the metaphor for right, right, right. everything. And the way that, and they're two very old women uh, who don't know each other at all. But the connection they make over these bowls of rice and how those bowls are... Um, metaphors for all of the pain they have both been through. Right. And at one point, the one woman says, I don't know how it was for you, but, and it's just this assumption, this understanding on right. both sides that they have both been through some shit right. and that this rice is, um, is, it just means so much more. Um, to me, the glimpses of 
uh, Korean family life, Korean history. Yeah. The I I will admit to my ignorance. I didn't know much about the Japanese occupation of Korea, right? Um, and how it affected generations of people, and yeah. it, and how that is echoing down now. But um, it's very slow, as it should be. It's a story that unpacks itself very slowly. It is based on a book, a New York Times bestseller. Um, and as I said to you because you finished it much quicker than I did. And I said, I'm enjoying this, but it is work because I don't mind um, subtitled shows at all, but uh, because it's very slow, mm-hmm. it's like sometimes entire scenes unpack with no subtitles at all. Cause no one's talking. And it's not just that you have to pay attention to the subtitles. The subtitles are color coded for when people are speaking in Korean and when they're speaking in, in Japanese, Japanese. Yeah. and it has meaning. Yes. It's not, there's a reason why they do that. It's that, very, very yeah, clear. That, that's a reason why they jump from one language to another. And I mean, there are scenes where, yeah. like, the father is talking to his son, and he's talking to him in Japanese, but certain words like mother and grandmother are they, in Korean. They're in Korean, yes. Um, and that's poignant. And you can only get that across by looking at the subtitles and registering what language right. they're speaking. Anyway, you I, go. I was very sick. <laughs> Uh, it was when we were like very very sick so I was like I need to watch something new and I knew about the show obviously I have posted uh, links in the lounge about the, the show I, I knew the show was doing well at some point we actually uh, had a post about uh, Jin Ha uh, wearing the uh, traditional Korean dress the hanbok yeah, uh, yeah uh, on the red carpet so we thought it was so beautiful that we showcased that so I, I was aware of the show I knew how good the show w- was because everyone was talking about it People were talking about the opening credits, how beautiful it is, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, you know, I'm sick. I don't have anything to do. Let me start watching it. And I was blown away by it. Yeah. Uh, from the first few seconds of the show. It's absolutely beautiful. It's based on uh, it's based on the best-selling novel by Min Jin Lee called also Pachinko, um, as we said, about the, the Korean family uh, across four generations, um, primarily focusing on Sunja. Um, main and character, I, yeah. Yeah, main character. And I posted on Twitter, and I meant what I said. I said, I just want to hug Sunja and, and thank her right. for telling the story, because her character is so, so powerful. Uh, I agree. The actresses uh, who play her... Um, three well, actresses. Uh, the older actress, the oldest yes. actress is Young Yu Jung, who won the Academy Award yes, last yes, year yes. Um, for Best Supporting Actor for Minari. And my God, she is that woman phenomenal. will make me cry. Phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Ah, the scene at the grave. Oh yeah. my God! I had read books about the Japanese occupation of Korea, so um, a long time ago, I was watching NPR, act- listening to NPR actually, and. Um, <laughs> This woman came and, and she wrote a book about the, the story and I bought the book actually a long time ago. I can't remember her name or the name of the book. But anyway, I was interested in the subject matter, but how things went. Um, so I was curious to see the show. Uh, the creator, the showrunner, Sue uh, Hyo, she was aware of the book uh, and she said that she didn't want to even read the book because it was too painful to read about her story about her family and about her, you know, right. being Korean and she didn't want to touch it. But finally they handed her the book and, uh, I think her agent, um, and she decided to do the show. Um, 
and I'm so glad she did. It to me, it's 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 more than a show. It it's an opportunity to tell a story that not everybody knows about. Oh no, it was it's so new to me. Absolutely beautiful, and yeah. she gave an interview, and and the book is written by an American person. I believe she's. I I, I think she's American. Korean American. Korean American. I believe she is. Um, or at least she lives here, or she's been living here for a long time. And the book was written in English. And someone actually asked her why you decided to do the show in Japanese, Korean, and English. And she gave the most wonderful answer, which is what I believe, uh, that whatever language they spoke had to be the language we heard. Yeah. And that, to me, represents everything. If I, they were all speaking English yes. in those scenes, well, what would be the point? That, to me, is the core of international shows and, and movies, is right. that you need to listen to the language yeah, you, you need to. Yeah. Um, because things are not said the same way. No, I agree. They're just not. And over time, um, I'm sure to you know, Korean speakers and Japanese right. speakers, this is not an issue. But over time, w- w- as I was watching the show, you do get an ear for when people right, are right. speaking Japanese. Yes, you yes. don't have you to rely to on it. Yeah. the color coding. And you hear the differences in the way they speak to each other. When yeah. a Korean family is together and they're all speaking Korean, they speak a certain way, you know, in a certain style. And then when they're around Japanese people and speaking Japanese, it's just right. different. And the way Japanese speak- people we're speaking to Korean people, and because right, it was right. an, awful, an awful lot about you know exploitation and right. and uh, I you know ethnic you know whatever, and I think all of that is in the undertone of the language and how the language right, is used right. when people use Japanese and when they don't, when they insert Korean words right. into their Japanese and when they when don't. they want to refer to something that is more personal to their story, though they right. go back to Korea, Korean. Um, it just. It's it. You have to understand the change when they talk about the mother and the father, and they they use different words and all that. Right. It it's just beautiful. It's powerful. It, it's powerful. The show is absolutely gorgeous. The costumes are beautiful. The acting is phenomenal. Yeah. Everyone is no incredible. one is um, weak except for the white guy. <laughs> yeah, there's Lee Min Ho, uh, who plays Ko Hansu, the evil guy. Yeah. Um, he's very famous in Korea, and he's a very famous actor, and um, so they got him to play the part. Uh, but there's also Jin Ha. I just mentioned him. He plays Solomon the Sun. Right. It's incredible. Uh, the ladies playing Sunja, they're incredible. The teenage uh, version of her, the actress who plays her, um, phenomenal. Uh, Min Ha Kim, they're all incredible. Uh, you just wanna, my God, it's 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 one of those shows that it it's so beautiful that it it's almost. In, it's a masterpiece. You're it's just a masterpiece. Watching, yes, yes, you're watching something absolutely incredible. Uh, I haven't read the book. I don't want to read the book. Um, I don't need. To, I, I feel like I don't need to read the book. Um, well, and we should say that there's the first season just ended. They did not complete the story in yes, the book. Exactly. And the second season was already greenlit, and the uh, creator of the show says that they have four seasons in mind, I know, which is amazing. Um, so you have time to get in on this now. We don't steer you wrong when we give our recommendations. No, this is absolutely but this is beautiful. an experience. It's an experience. That's yes, exactly it, is. it. It's more than just entertaining. And that's why I'm kind of glad I have not binged my way through it. Right. I still have two mm-hmm. two more episodes to go. And um, I'd rather take my time with them. Um, the cinematography is gorgeous. Absolutely. The stunning. scenes of Busan, Korea yes. in, in 1910 or whatever, just with the mountains in the background. Oh, my God. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, 
just great. Everything about it. The acting is beautiful. The costume design is stunning. Because yeah. um, a lot of times it's people in traditional Korean dress. And then later it's, you know, it's like right. the 1930s. Just get used to the idea in the beginning. It might be annoying if you're not familiar with, with subtitles. But that you have to read... Uh, Two different languages. I mean, versions. I mean, the English version of two different languages, and it's going to be in blue and, and, and yellow, right? It really didn't take long but to figure out. But you get used to it. Um, you get used to it, and it, and it's just... Everything is breathtaking. Everything just, is breathtaking. Cannot recommend this enough. Yes. Um, it. I just cannot imagine this isn't going to sweep Emmys. I just, I just want to thank... Apple TV. Apple TV is doing a lot of great... They're doing a lot of great yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're doing great stuff. Severance is great. Yes, For yes. All Mankind is yes. great. Pachinko is great. They're um, doing great stuff. We were... We're getting. We're going a little long today, so we're not going to talk about it, but we were going to talk a little bit about Netflix's problems, because right. it's having all these problems right now. Um and for me, the main issue with Netflix is it's being lapped by by yeah, streaming yeah. services like Apple TV Plus and HBO Max, yeah. which has a lot of great shows too. It is a pain too. in the ass, and it's very it's it's very expensive to subscribe to all these channels. I'm not going to lie. I right. mean, we do it because that's our job, and it's but, a tax write off, right, for us. But uh, it's it's a lot of money when right. you have to subscribe to all these channels. But Apple TV is really do. I mean, they have the money. You can they have the money. You smell That's exactly the money it. when you watch their show. This is an epic, epic yeah, series yeah. spanning generations and, as you said, three different countries. And they did not skimp on the production design, the cinematography, the costumes, any of it's it. Everything is beautiful. Everything is beautiful. The way uh, they were talking, I read, I watched an interview with the, the production people about the way they handle food, how they want to pay homage to the food, the Korean food. They spend so much time yes, lovingly yes, yes, photographed. I've never yes, seen rice yes. photographed so much. I know, I know. Um, just the scene of the mother preparing the rice before um, yeah. the daughter on the daughter's wedding it's, night. Oh just, my God. Ah, it's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I highly, 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 Cannot highly recommend it enough. And if yeah. you're a white American, right. you will come away from this with something of an education. Um, yes, absolutely. That is what I valued about absolutely. it the most. I'm like, wow, I just didn't know any of this. I've never seen this perspective on in television before. That's, that's and how that's I my fault. No. I mean, that's my limitations as an American viewer. That's why you always see me watching international shows, and you know what? You know, you joke because you you walk towards the uh, living room and you were like, what language is this one now? I, I'm always like, is it people in hijabs crying or is it people in Norwegian sweaters solving murders? Because that's know. all that you're but w- watching. But I'm always watching these shows because I know they're fiction. I know they're <laughs> creations. They're not real stories. But they they give you a glimpse. They give you some idea what life is like for these people out there. And they I just feel that the your world, world. Yes. Broaden your world. I know. I learned so much. And beautifully. Like, it's, yes. you're not being lectured to. You're yep. watching a beautiful story unfold. And it gives you a little piece of, of knowledge that you can expand. You go right. online, you go on, you do your Google search like I did, and you explore more yeah. about whatever you want. Yeah, I was yes. looking up the Japanese occupation of Korea all this week because I didn't know a damn thing about and it. And the more you know about the world, about the different cultures the better understanding you have of everything yeah it's just a beautiful thing to me it's a beautiful thing i agree highly recommended yes we made it through this entire podcast oh my God. without hacking you, our lungs God, up thank you so much you guys are so patient yes thank you always for your support and for listening thank and for you. checking in on us because i know a lot of people were like are you feeling any better i know i know it, it's it's been rough i mean i guess because we've been home for so many years I know. leaving very 
you know, very few times. And, and so I guess it hit us. I mean, this, this was really bad. We had no immune system whatsoever. No, yeah, I think that's And I honestly it think it was seeing our nieces uh, oh, probably. At, at Easter. Uh-huh. Because uh, we've told our, our family members this, like the ones who have had kids. Um, every time we see them, we Every time back. we see your kids, we wind up getting really right sick. Now. Because we don't, you know, we don't build up that immunity. And that's probably what happened anyway. So blame but the But we nieces. are getting better. And thank you for your patience. Thank you guys for everything, yep. really. So until next week, when we come back with whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks, take care of yourselves. Love yes. you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.